Thanks, Cliff. Morning, everyone. Sure. It's like a walk into a, a Holy Ghost party here. <laughs> yes. Woo, hallelujah. And, uh, you know, when, when Julie was talking about that wave, I thought, yo, we need more waves. Eh? <laughs> Last night I was watching um, The Chosen. Have you, have you guys yeah. been watching The Chosen or watched it? So I've watched a couple of episodes with my daughter. And last night we were watching it, um, that part. I think it's the fourth or fifth episode. And uh, there's the part where Jesus comes to, 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 to Simon Peter in the catching fish. And, uh, and Simon Peter isn't really believing in who this Messiah is, the chosen one. But his brother's saying, you know, this is the one. And he still doesn't believe. And then Jesus tells him to, th- uh, you know, to go throw his nets out. And, he, and then he sees the fish, and then he believes that this is the Messiah. And uh, he comes up to Jesus, and he falls down on his knees, and he says, I'm not worthy, I'm a sinner. And uh, when he said that, my daughter and I just, there was like a wave, and then we just cried. There was like just this weeping. And um, I said to my daughter, oh, Jesus loves the sinner so much. She said, no, Dad, we're all sinners. <laughs> and, but it was such a good moment. And then a few moments later, um, I think it was the next episode, there was almost like another wave, but it wasn't one of weeping, it was just one of laughing. I've never ever laughed like this before in my life. I mean, I laughed for maybe for about five minutes, but everything that was in me, just I just couldn't stop laughing. Um, and it was the part where, where Mary comes to Jesus and, and, and she asks him to, to make some wine. For, for a miracle, and he says, it's not yet my time, but he goes and he does it anyway. And afterwards, once they've all tasted the wine, everybody's like, wow, this is the best wine ever, and they all see this as a miracle. And I'm just looking, and I'm watching how Jesus looks across the room at his mom, and his mom's so happy, and you see the connection. He's just looking at her, and just that look in his eyes, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm the son of God, and I, but also I did this for you, mom. And, um, and she looks at him, and she says, like, you know, Thank you. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow. But my daughter, she's like, why is he looking at her like that? He's not Jesus. He's just an actor. <laughs> and I just couldn't stop laughing. For me, that was so hilarious. But I, know, I just couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, wow. Um, I said to her, you know what? You, you, you really want to see Jesus. And you, but you must appreciate this guy. They're all acting. <laughs> but it was so lacquer. But I mean, that was a moment of unity between us. And I just thought this morning as well that, you know, I just want to share a little bit about unity. Unity amongst us, you know, unity with each other and loving one another, really loving one another, really being unified with one another. And I just thought yesterday, which was such a nice time that uh, with my daughter and myself, of unity. And sometimes in unity there's going to be laughing and then there's also going to be times of crying and times of rubbing each other up the wrong way. So uh, that's good. And I was also reminded this morning in my quiet time what the Lord spoke to us about as a church a while back. His big, his big purpose for us, His big plan for us. Um, and before, I want to speak about the, the big plan. 
within the big plan, there's little plans. There's little preachers and teachers along the way that the Lord comes and he, he speaks to us on Sundays and Wednesdays at community. Little things to build us up. But I want to remind us of, of the big plan. Um, and the one is to make his name holy. Jesus wants to make his name holy. The Lord, he wants to make his name holy in the church. As it, the church is profaned among the nations, it says in the word. But he wants to make, and he wants to make this church holy. And how he does that is he wants to cleanse us. And why? He said that the nations can come in. And it's already starting to happen. So the nations can come in and they can see a holy church. They can see a genuine church. But to make us holy, it says in his word, he brings fire and he brings water and his word to cleanse us, to renew us and to make us new. And I think one of the things um, that the Lord is just wanting to highlight this morning is our unity with one another. Yeah. Because on the outside, I was reading in, in Psalms 28 yesterday, um, how David speaks about people who speak evil with their neighbors, sorry, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. And I realized, and for myself sometimes, there's been a, on, on the exterior, on the surface, there's been a, hi, how are you doing? But on the inside and the heart, there's been a, I remember I spoke to you last week. I remember how you rebuked me. And there's a bit of a grace there, or a bit of a bitterness. I think maybe the Lord wants to just deal with that this morning and teach us a little bit how to how to deal with these things. Amen. Amen. Cool. So hold this rather. So um, yeah, it's better. So a while back, I had a bit of an issue with unity in my heart, unity towards um, my brothers and my sisters. And even on the eldership team, we went to have a little holiday and I wasn't in the mood to get back into fellowship and to do the community thing and the overseeing and coming into meetings again. And everything had become for me quite religious and you're ticking the box. And I was tired of it. And um, it, there was just no life in this for me anymore. So I went and I, I, I went to pray and I cried out to the Lord. And I said, I said Lord, I'm, I'm not in the mood for this. This is just it's getting a bit too much for me. I've got no, there's no desire in my heart. There's no desire in my heart to be with my brother. There's no desire in my heart to be with my sister and, 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 and the leaders and the sheep in the community. And it's just like a deadness in me. It's just like a coldness. And I've grown a bit cold. And it's become a bit of a, in Afrikaans, a good word, a, a lust. <laughs> it's become a bit of a burden for me, Lord. And um, so I really ask the Lord to help me. And, you know, once you ask the Lord for help, it's always good to go to your Bible. Because you speak to the Lord, and you pour out everything, and then you go to your Bible, and then He speaks to you. So, uh, I was busy reading through, or going to start reading through Ruth at the time. And uh, as I'm reading through Ruth, the Lord spoke to me, and He answered me, and He gave me a, um, some handles, you know, as I was feeling really, really dead inside. How many of you know the story of Ruth? Pajana. Okay, I'll have to read a bit. <laughs> so it's a story of starts off with Naomi. She's from um, the area of Jerusalem, and she moves with her husband because there's a family in the land, and they move to Moab. And while they are there, they they have two sons, and the two sons get married to two daughters, 
um, Ruth and Orpah, and eventually the sons die. And the husband dies as well. Then it's, so it's the mother-in-law with the two daughters. And let me read for you. In the days when the judges ruled there, ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man, the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived about ten years, and both Marlon and Chilion, two sons, they died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she rose, arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set, she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her, her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Is this making a bit of a noise? Is it okay? Okay, thanks. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then this is the point. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. In other words, she was saying to her goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. And that's the part where the Lord spoke to me right there. And you know, sometimes you read the word of God and the Lord doesn't only speak to you, but through that word, He does something eternally in your heart. He changes you. And right in that, in that moment, the Lord changed me. And I knew right there, my, my mission for me is to cling to my brothers and sisters. And at the same time, He gave me the capacity and, and the willingness and the desire to cling to my brothers and my sisters. And I'm just looking at Ruth's loyalty. And she says, see your, uh, Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return off to your sister-in-law. But Ruth, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall, bum, shall be my people and your God my God. And she was from a country where they worshipped many different gods. And the God of Israel wasn't their God. But this was her attitude and her commitment. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And so that, that was her attitude 
that was that, that was her stance, and that's a fault the Lord said to me must be my attitude with my brothers and my sisters, and he, he just did something in me. We I say, you know what? Where my brothers and sisters die, there I die, and we we go and uh, we fight shoulder to shoulder, back to back, and we die for one another. And so for the next meeting, I was like so amped to go to the next meeting. I went to the next meeting, and I was, geez, I'm here on a mission. I'm here to cling to my brothers. And um, as I had that attitude that the Lord gave me, um, I just saw something from a totally different light. It was like my life was renewed there. My zeal was renewed a bit. Amen? Amen. And I really feel that for us. Um, and, you know, it comes from when we do go through areas like that, where there's not a unity in our hearts with our brothers and our sisters, and there's not a oneness, a solidarity, then it calls for crying out to God, for calling out to Him, for, for laying that down, and not, not keeping it hidden, but really pouring out before the Lord. I'm reminded of Samuel in, I'm uh, sorry, um, Hannah, um, in the first book of Samuel, where she she's wanting a breakthrough, and it's not happening, and she's been crying out to the Lord, for a child, and, and the priest sees her, and uh, she's crying out so much that she looks a little bit drunk. And he says to her, why do you come here drunk, woman? And she says, I'm not drunk, I'm pouring out my soul. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. And she says also, I'm speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And I think when there's things in our heart, where there's not unity, and we can get before the Lord in our hands and knees and really cry out to Him, and say, Lord, you know what, inside there is a, there's a deadness here. There's not a oneness with my brothers and sisters. There's not a love. I don't have this love that I know I need to have for my brothers and sisters. Lord, would you please come and do this for me? Would you please come and help me? And from that place, the Lord hears. Amen. He says he opposes the proud. In James 4 verse 6, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, and we pour out our very feelings and our emotions, and where, you know, as we come closer to Jesus, we see the lack in our lives. We see the sin in our lives. We see where there's much unity. And he's waiting for us to pour that out. It's of much value to him when we pour out those deep feelings and we pour out our sin. We pour out where we fall short so that he can come. And in our weakness, he can strengthen us. Amen. Amen. You know, so there's a clinging to one another. In that, in that, 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 uh, that word, clinging, another word is uh, um, freezing. It's, it's, when, it's when there's a, like a welding together, a really be, becoming one. And there's a unity that we, we are called to have with one another, a love that we are called to fight for with one another. Yeah. I mean, no, it's not easy. Yeah. We don't just come into the kingdom and we love everybody. We're not, we're not all love masters. <laughs> because we come from different backgrounds and we, we, see, we see sin in, in each other's lives and as we become more mature, sometimes we can become more prideful. We begin to see faults in other people. Amen? But the Lord is wanting us to fight for that unity. There's a unity with one another that the Lord wants, and there's a, a unity with Him. There's a oneness, a clinging to each other. Regardless of our 
differences and the faults we see in each other. And there's a clinging to Jesus, to His Word. Um, Matthew 22, from verse 37 to 39, Jesus speaks of the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. It's a clinging to Him. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's a clinging to that neighbor. So as we cling to the Lord, you know, the disciples, they saw Jesus. We didn't see him. And Peter encourages us. He says, you haven't seen him, yet you love him. We have his word. There's a way that you cling to Jesus. One of the ways, and that is by clinging to his word, becoming one with his word. It says in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the word. And for us to want to, for us to, want to become one with the word, we cling to it. We become one with it. I like in the Old Testament when they speak about the, um, the sword. Whenever the sword is mentioned, that was the weapon that was used. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, it says, that's not the weapon anymore. And the fight's not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of evil. And the weapon that we have is the Word of God. Yeah. That, that's on you, our sword, the sword of the Spirit. Double-edged sword. This, sorry? Double-edged sword. A double-edged sword, yeah. It's a dangerous word, and it's a weapon. You know, the second, the second um, the judge of Israel, Ehud, he was a left-handed swordsman. And, and if you read through the story, you'll see how he went up to Eglon, the evil king, and he took an 18-inch dagger, the sword, a double-edged sword, it says, and he shoved it into his belly, and he killed him, and he made a public spectacle of him. And it's a picture of Jesus, the Word of God, overcoming the enemy, destroying the enemy and making a public spectacle of him. And so the Lord wants us to become one with this word because it's a strong weapon. As we read it, it changes us, it transforms us. Um, we become one with it. You know, like I said, we don't see Jesus, but he's got something for us, his word. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. The word, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And he goes on to say, There was a man who was sent by God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that word, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light, but the true light that gives light to all men was coming into the world. And although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a husband's will or human decision, but born of God. And then it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we have all seen his glory, the glory of the one and only sent by the Father, full of grace and truth. Now Jesus came through the Virgin Mary. The Word of God became flesh. And for 33 years, He operated here on this earth. And then He went back to be with the Father. And He sent the Holy Spirit and His Word so that we can be one with Him. One with His Word. And in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 23, verse 10, there's a story of one of David's mighty men. It speaks of the three mighty men. And the one mighty man, his name is Eleazar. And he says, when all of Israel was fighting against the enemy, they all retreated. But Eleazar says he remained on the battlefield with a sword in his hand. And his hand clung to the sword. 
the same word that was used with Ruth when she clung to Naomi. It says that he clung to the sword and he became one. His hand in, in, in the King James Version, um, it says his hand froze to the sword. He became one. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And all those that weren't even on the battlefield, just Eliezer was there, but all the others came and they just came to strip the slain. They benefited. Because there was one man that was willing to hold on to his sword. There was one man that was willing to, when everybody was not on the battlefield, this man was on the battlefield and he clung to his sword. I want to say that the Lord is he's looking for people in his church, men and women and children who are willing to cling to this sword. Because oftentimes there are people that are they're not clinging to this. They're not clinging to this sword. But for those that do cling to the sword, the Lord wants to bring about a victory. He brought about a, a great victory for Israel that day. And the people came to strip this land. Now you can see the people that when I was preparing, you, you can see the people that are clinging to the sword because they're bringing something, like Julia this morning. And the guy's coming to pray on that. And not everybody can come at home, I'm just saying. But there are people that are clinging to the sword and they're bringing the word. And everybody gets the victory. So when I was thinking of that last night, how the Lord is looking for warriors, men and women who are willing to read this, cling to it, and become one with it. Because he wants to bring about a victory, not only in your life, but in other people's lives. You know that as you're reading your Bible, sometimes all of a sudden you get a word for someone. The Lord blesses you. Other people, other people come and they get blessed because you are willing to cling to your sword. I was thinking of, um, I was thinking of Ethan um, Van Sale last night when I was preparing this word. And many times in the past, I know he's given words to many people, but he, he's a young man that he clings to his sword. Every night he has a, devo a devotion time with the Lord and he, he reads in his devotional book and gets some scriptures every night. And every now and again he gives his sense to people. And often he sent a word to me with a little note, Uncle Declan, I felt this word for you. Sure. And then I read that word and it's like, this word is really ministering to me. The Lord is using this young man because he is a young man that's willing to cling, he's willing to hold on to his sword. And every night he's devoting his time to the Lord and the Lord is bringing about a great victory in my life and in other people's lives. And sometimes he'll share with me, I'll share it with the community. Because the Lord sees that there's a young man that's holding on to his sword. And he's becoming one with his sword. Isn't he you're an example? A warrior. Amen. Let's be a people that cling to that sword. Amen. And cling to one another. And it is a fight. The unity between people is a fight. I was finished with Ruth now, so now I'm busy with 1 Samuel. <laughs> now, I like to have one book in the Old Testament, one book in the New Testament, and then sometimes I'm reading up through Psalms. One in the Old, one in the New. That works for me. I like that. But I'm reading um, about the very first king of Israel, King Saul. And Saul threw quite well. And uh, then he got a bit... You got a bit cuckoo, got a bit crazy. 
And he had this relationship with, with David. David was a, um, an up-and-coming king. He was going to be king. He had been anointed years back, but uh, he wasn't king yet. He was a potential leader. And I was speaking to some people. <laughs> and he was a potential leader. He was the potential next king. But uh, he had this King Saul in his life, and King Saul was jealous of him. And King Saul wanted to kill him. Um, and, 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 and so they had this, this constant um, vibe between them. You know, there was this animosity between them. There were times when King David would come and everything would be great and he would be um, playing the harp and everything. And then all of a sudden, King Saul would go a bit crazy and take his spear and want to pin him to the wall. So that, these are kingdom men and this is the relationship that they had in the kingdom. And then this King Saul's son, Jonathan, and he had a relationship with David. And their relationship was good. I mean, even though King Saul was Jonathan's father, Jonathan still said to David, you know what, you're going to be the next king. He could have said, you know, I've got the right to be the next king. I'm next in line after my father. But he said to David, he saw something in him and said, you're going to be the next king. And I'm going to be with you. It didn't end up that way because Jonathan was killed. But they had a good relationship. It says that when David had to leave and, and flee from Saul, they hugged each other and they loved one another. And it says that they wept on each other. But David wept them all. When I read this, I was like, oh, that's, how, that's how we need our relationships to be with one another. That uh, we will outdo one another in weeping. That we will outdo one another in showing love. We will outdo one another in showing honor. To each other. And I thought, you know, there's some, been some relationships in my life, in the church, where there have been some Saul and David moments. Where there's been, you know, it says in the Bible, like steel sharpens steel. Man sharpens man. And we work on each other's nerves. And we can get, get in each other's way. And the Lord allows these things to happen. Like those waves come for a reason. Julie was saying. And uh, so, just another testimony. Just a short while ago, a leader was coming to visit us, um, the elders, and I, I had something in my heart against this leader. And it wasn't because of him, it was because of me, of an insecurity. And he was coming to visit us, and I actually dreaded that. I didn't really want to face him, I harbored this. And so I had to get before the Lord and say, Lord, and it was almost like I had a, a David, a king, a, a young David and a King Saul attitude there, a warfare going on there in my heart. And I had to get before the Lord and cry out and say, God, please help me. I don't have love for this man the way I should have. Would you please come and change my heart? There is wicked in me, Lord. I've got the vibes in me. There's resentment in me. Because I'm weak. Lord Jesus, would you please come and change me? And I prayed and for a few days. And on the, the day of the meeting, I prayed as well. I said, Lord, please. On the way here, I'm praying in tongues. Because I really want breakthrough in this area. And I don't want this vibe between my brother. We're in the kingdom together. And I want it to be like um, Jonathan and David. Not like King Saul and David. And so I must fight. I have to fight for this. And I'm fighting. And all the way I get to the meeting... And when I get there, there's a time of worship and a time of prophesying and uh, just blessing each other. And I just feel this word, a prophetic word for this man. And 
I bless him with that word. And But the Lord showed me at the same time that evening, what a wonderful man this is. Just saw him from a totally different light. I thought, this is a good man. This is a sweet man. Eh? Yo. And I just began to love this guy in my heart. I was like, yo, thank you, Lord. There was something that was terrible there. There was a, there was a dark spot in my heart. But when I gave it to the Lord and I asked him to help me, he came with his grace and he helped me and he changed something in my heart. Just like that. But it, it did take a battle. It did take a fight. It did take getting into the quiet place. And the Lord wants us to get into those quiet places with those quiet issues, with those hidden away issues. Maybe someone in the community or, or maybe a leader spoke to you and you've got this grudge now and it's with you, the problem. Not with that leader, not with your friend. And with me, it was, the problem was with me, but I had to fight. I had to fight for that unity. And so now in that area, it's good. There are times sometimes when it's easier to love one person than the next. Easier to love some people. Some people it's very difficult. Some people, it's very difficult for them to love me. I understand that. You better deal with it. <laughs> but the Lord has given us ways to deal with it. It's to get for, for good unity with the Lord. For good unity with the Lord. It's found in, in the quiet place first. For unity with the Lord. It's reading your word. It's praying to him and it's crying out to him. Becoming one with him. But he also wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's also in the quiet place, crying out to him, crying out to that person, crying out for the Lord to change you, to change your heart. Amen? Amen. He wants to do that. So I just want to say, that, so we fight for unity with Jesus, and then we also fight for unity with each other in the quiet place. It's a battle. So when the, when the Lord highlights to you, maybe some people, or something you have against somebody, then you go and you, you fight for that. You fight for, and you fight for that person. You fight for that relationship. And it doesn't have to be like a King David and a King Saul relationship, but it can be like a Jonathan and David relationship. Amen? Amen. Um, okay. There was something else. Just there was that I think it was that was that song earlier that Rui sang about um, sharing our love with those around us. You know, there's a Jesus prays and he prays for unity, but he also prays for those that are still going to be saved, for them to come in, that there will be unity with them as well. And something I saw the other day where it says. Let's get a finish on this and then ask Cliff to we can pray and um, where it says don't allow the great commission which is going to all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So that's the great commission. Don't allow, don't let the great commission become the great omission. The omission is when you neglect to do something, when you leave something out, when you neglect something. I think we do that sometimes in our lives. We're happy in our little holy huddle, but there are others outside there that need to know God's love. And just at the leaders' time with our leaders' comments on um, 
on Wednesday evening, that came out, expecting, expecting more and trusting God for more, praying for people and uh, praying for healing in the workplace, at school, wherever. Trusting God for great things. And we prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us again. Sometimes we get dry. You know, the disciples in the book of Acts, they, they waited and the Holy Spirit came upon them and then after that they were able to go preach the gospel. But then further along in the book of Acts, it says the Spirit came again and again. And then they were um, made bold by the Spirit. And so there's, there's a constant asking the Lord to fill us. Amen. And even for, to, for this unity to work between us and with Him, we need the Holy Spirit. And uh, just the next day, there were a few testimonies on the group about people, how they had preached the gospel, how they prayed for somebody, little breakthroughs like that. Sometimes we need to ask the Lord, Lord, come. I was feeling it this morning in the worship, there was a bit of a, maybe it was just me, but there was a bit of a, a lack of zeal. I feel like that sometimes, lack of zeal, a lack of, come on. You know, when Louis, Louis was like, hallelujah, I was like, come on, that's the stuff, man. We lack some zeal sometimes. And I pray for us. And then, Jacob, uh, then it's all up to you. But I want to pray first that um, the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And I really pray that we'll be expectant. I always need, and I often pray that for myself. Lord Jesus, please send your Spirit fill me. Fill me, Lord. I need you. I'm dead inside. I'm dry inside, God. I need a filling of your Spirit. May you overflow in me and touch the lives of others. I want to pray that for us. Maybe we can just stand. If you can just stand. For those that can, 